What up, everybody? So proud of you guys. Let y'all get settled. I'm so proud of you. Really am. I'm so proud to be a part of this church. Anybody had a, is this their first year at camp? Well, let me just go ahead and ruin all other camps for you. They're not like this. And I, I don't say that just because Pastor Jackson and Miss Molly, aka Camp Queen, and Pastor Maddie have worked so hard and are of the highest caliber of people I've ever worked with and been a part of. I don't just say that. That's where you give them a clap right there because they've worked really hard for camp. I say that because I've yet to experience the presence of God so tangibly in an environment where we're so tired <laughs> and so sunburnt. But I think that's some of the magic of it. Some of the magic of camp. We took your phones away. Ours don't work either, by the way. There's no service out here. And there's something about retreating. And it's not a retreat because we're afraid of losing, in the sense of losing a fight, but it's a retreat in the sense of losing our awe. We retreat back to these quiet places amongst family and amongst friends. And we fix our gaze on Jesus again. And I think there is something so simple to the Lord. And I think we try to make it complicated sometimes. And that if we will just quiet ourselves and create little pockets of retreat in our life, I believe the Lord wants to meet us like this on a regular basis. Jesus says to refer to God as Abba. We did it in the Lord's Prayer today in our middle session, Abba, Father. In Scripture, this is one of the first times that we see God referred to in this way. It's not just in the sense of that's my paternal heritage, but it's a sense of daddy. It's a sense of intimacy. And uh, I was studying up on the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus probably took portions of this prayer from another one they would have known. But the familiarity that he used would have shocked and offended the Pharisees. But I believe that he was trying to teach us something. That at the heart of everything that God has tried to do and has done on earth, on the heart, at the root of everything, has been connection and relationship with us. And we try to turn this into a competition to outdo ourselves and to make and be better versions of ourselves and to run the race as Paul says. But the prize that I feel like we set our eyes on too many times is a prize of notoriety and influence, even to just appease this sense in ourselves of wanting to accomplish something from the Lord. But I believe at the heart and the root of the message of the gospel is come as you are, because I love you as you are. And it's when you receive the love of God, realizing that in order to achieve it, I have to change nothing of myself. But that Jesus, an eternal God, 
So Jesus has lived for eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity has existed forever. That means that outside of the pocket of time, it's like some Marvel stuff. Like outside of the pocket of time, their God is. And he's seen everything from the beginning of creation all the way through to the end of existence, which is eternity. And in that moment of eternity, he chose to love you. Think about that for a second. So the love of God, not based upon your actions or even your ability to change and grasp onto him, is 100% available to you right now in the moment. So why is it that sometimes we don't experience it like we do tonight or at prayer? And I believe at the root of it, it's because we fix our gaze and we allow our gaze to become distracted. It's one of the things I love about camp. I grew up going to camp. Um, when camps like these, I'll tell you. Uh, I grew up uh, going to a camp where my church, I went to a pretty big church in Houston. And every year we would take thousands of students to the beach. And so we would have two camps, junior high and high school. And overall, there was like about 3,000 students that would come. And we would rent out these like condo towers. And it was crazy. We shut down the town. And then we would do worship in these amphitheaters. And not at all dogging on the tradition that I grew up in. But the emphasis of those weeks was 100% on salvation. So much so that at the, the last night, kind of funny, at the, the last night always led up to this big baptism service. So like they would have, all week long, it'd be leading towards this one altar call where people would either give their life to Jesus or rededicate their life to Jesus. And then you would have an opportunity to get baptized. And so then we would get on buses and we would go to this big wave pool. You guys ever been in one of those wave pools before? And, uh, and we, would, we would sit along the outside of the wave pool, and if you made a decision to follow Jesus, then you would be on a separate bus so they can kind of keep things quiet and keep things focused and, and kind of teach you a little about baptism. And they would bring you in. They would baptize all these people. Actually, one time I accidentally got tricked into getting on that bus. So I was a pastor's kid growing up. And so uh, what that means essentially is that uh, you get this sense, it's not true, but you get this sense that like you have to kind of live at this standard, like almost in, in, in the sense of like, I couldn't really feel like I could like admit weaknesses or, or really be transparent with people because I was one of the pastor's sons. And, and that's not true. That's where I was. And uh, there was this moment where they did an altar call, but the language was really tricky on the altar call. It was like, if you want to raise your flag for Jesus and like live for him, then come down here. And so I was like, well, I mean, like, it, it, am I a Christian if I don't go down for that? Or am I saying I'm not a Christian yet and I would like to be? And so I wanted to play it safe, so I went down for the altar call. And then they, and then they, they, they kind of, it was my first year at this camp and they kind of ushered us off to the buses and I got on the bus and, and then I had this moment of realization of like, I think I'm on the baptism bus. And it's like, I've already been baptized in front of all these people. Like, I can't do this again. So I get off the bus and my dad sees me and he was like, hey, are, are you one to get baptized like again? And I was like, no, I got on the wrong bus, dad. I'm so sorry. But it was this big thing. And then at the end of the, the baptism, um, our pastor who was this, uh, he's the 70 year old guy who could go, man. Like his, his preaching was insanely good. And he would lead the baptism service. And once everybody got baptized, they would do this big um, countdown from 100 to give anyone else the opportunity to come down and respond to the altar call. 
one year there was a, a lifeguard that, that did it. Um, but then there started to be this theme where when we got down to like 20, you could like push your friend in and then everyone would start clapping because they would think they were making a decision for Jesus and then you'd have to go get baptized again. I say that to say, I feel like that approach to ministry is a little bit backwards. To put the emphasis on the entirety of the week on salvation, where I feel like salvation is the easiest thing for us to grasp and to say yes to. Because think about it. You have no concept of the gospel. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, there's a holy God. And if you don't put your trust in him, you're gonna have to pay for your sins when you die. And there's nothing that you can do to achieve favor with God except for receiving of the blood of Jesus. But good news, Jesus already went to the cross for you, so all you have to do is receive of him. And then the life that he wants to live through you is gonna be better than the life that you've been living. It's like, yeah, sign me up. Like, I'm in for that, right? But the difficulty comes on the other side of that decision. And this is where discipleship takes place. Because there's a thing in scripture talking about the working out of your salvation. And what that means is not that we're working to stay in a place of receiving the salvation of God. But what it means is that we are trying to figure out what this salvation thing means. We're trying to, think, we're trying to figure out how salvation applies to the rest of our life. Because we're going to go home from camp. And what's going to happen? We're going to go back to the world, right? We're going to go back. We're going to go back. We've been in, 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 at camp this theme, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Pastor Jackson talked tonight one, and it was fire about just setting your heart on Jesus. The, the, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come here in my heart. And then night two, uh, Pastor Josh from South Point talked about, come, Lord Jesus, here in this family. And the question I want to answer tonight, and I want us to ask ourselves tonight is this. Do I want Maranatha in my city? Do I really have a posture of, come Lord Jesus, here, in my school, in my city, in my state, in my family? Maranatha. We want him here. That's easy. It's like, yes, Lord, you make my life so much better. We want him here in our family and our friends, the people that we share life with. But do we want him here in our city? Is that what we want? So I want to pray tonight. I'm going to kind of bounce around through the scripture. Got a lot of word tonight. Is that okay with everybody? You guys like the Bible, right? Good. I hope so. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you so much, Jesus. Come and behold you. We'll, we'll spend the rest of our existence beholding you and captivated by your, be your beauty and your splendor. Not just in appearance, but in character, Lord. I don't understand how your love is just so pure, so fierce and so strong. We sense it tonight, Lord. And we just love you, don't we? We just love you, Jesus. We want to walk away with your heart. We want your heart tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with your Bibles. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's before 1st and 2nd Kings. It's also, shocker, before 2nd Samuel. <laughs> Thank you. I hear some giggling over there. 1st Samuel. 1st Samuel chapter 30. 
It's after Judges. Oh, thank you. I did go to Bible college, I promise. Been using my iPhone Bible too much. Everybody there? No? Well, you'll get there, I promise. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings were when I was in high school, junior high, college age, I tore through these books, man. I loved these because it's like blood and guts and gore and kings and rulers and fighting. So interesting to me. Um, I, I make a habit of buying a new Bible every three or four years and, and, and starting fresh to, to mark it all up again because I like to just mark it up with notes and with Notes that I, I don't feel like I'm ever going to go back and look, but it like helps get in my heart to like write it down and like mark it up and like, and like highlight it. And First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings were of the books that I've studied. Um, I've studied the most, mostly because there's a man in them named David, King David. And because my name is David, I have a connection with him, and I wanted to study him out. But also too, David is a character in the Bible that we see more of his strengths and weaknesses, we see more of his humanity than any other character in the Bible. Any other character in the Bible. All of David's dirty laundry, all of David's triumphs, all of, there, there's some things you read about David that you're like, geez, this is the guy yet that God says, that's a man after my own heart. And that gives me hope. Because I read about the mistakes and, and although they're not the same, you know, I haven't killed anybody. David has. I, didn't, I haven't killed anybody. There, there's, I'm equally as embarrassed of them, though. But yet, God calls him a man after my own heart, which means that that's available to us. So what's the secret of David's life? What's the secret of David's life? So we're going we're gonna to study a little bit of it tonight, okay? This is after, in the, the kind of timeline of David's life, this is after he's been anointed king. But he's not yet in the palace. So there's the first king of Israel, King Saul, is still on the throne and is actively hunting David. So there is not uh, good blood between them right now. Um, and David is, is in this weird place that we find ourselves in currently, where he's been promised things and had things spoken over him and promised a destination that he hasn't yet walked into. And that's where we find ourselves, because there's a promise of heaven, but yet we still live on earth. So he finds himself in this place, 1 Samuel chapter 30, and there's a lot of names in here that I'm just going to say name, okay, because I can't pronounce them. Is that fine? Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. I can say that one, and what a great name. Just right there off the top, like if they had a high school mascot, I don't know what it would be. They could just go the Ziklags. I don't know. On the third day, that the Amalekites, which is one of the enemies of Israel, had invaded the south and Ziklag. Now, this is where David and his men had set up camp in a town named Ziklag. David and his men are away right now, and they're on their way back. So their family, their, their, friend, uh, uh, their, their children, all their possessions, all of them are in this little town. And David and his men, all the fighting men, are away. And they're on their way back into town. And it says this, that the Amalekites attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away 
and went their way. So David and his men are on their way back into town. Think about it. They've been on a long journey. Many of you right now, I, I know what you're the most excited about. Pastor Josh talked about it last night, is sleeping in your own bed tomorrow night. Like they're on their way back and they're thinking about, I have been camping out with these sweaty guys and, and, and been in battle for who knows how long, and I just want to get back, give my wife a kiss, hug my kids, and sleep in my own bed. And they're on their way back, and they see the town, the place where they have set up shop, and in front of them, instead of seeing a welcome party, they see smoke drifting up. They'd taken captive the women and those who were, who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. It's interesting to me that their first response isn't anger, although I'm sure they were angry. I'm sure they were angry at whoever came while the fighting men were away and attacked a village full of just innocent women and children. I'm sure they were angry. That wasn't their first response. Um, I'm, sure they were, uh, I'm sure they were confident that they could go and take back what was taken from them. They have won lots and lots and lots of battles at this point. Like they are not scared of a little fight, but that's not what we see first. What we see first is weeping. We see a weeping before the Lord, and it says that they lifted up their voices and wept until they couldn't weep any longer. Their first response was weeping. I want you to write this down. There's power when we weep. Let me ask you a question. What's the point of all this? Not life, but I guess life. What's the point of all this Jesus stuff? What's the point of life in Christ? Is it to, you know, come under the blessing of God and, and be protected and have a good life? Maybe some. Is it, is it about stuff? No. Is it about knowing God perfectly and, and growing close to him? Yes, but when we get to heaven, we'll get to do that for eternity. So like this little blip right now of existence, what's the point? What's the point? The point of right now is them. It's those that have been taken captive by the enemy. Now this is why David and his men wept. Because there was an intimate and a deep love attached to those that had been taken by the enemy. They wept because of what was taken, not who took it. If they were angry, it's because it would be like, hey, they took my stuff. But they wept because there was a soul attached to the loss. They wept. The point of now is them, those that are far away from Jesus those that have taken by the enemy. Does anyone cry from time to time? You can admit it. I'll admit it. I was weeping during worship, y'all. Michaela was singing that spontaneous song right there, and I was just a, a blubbery mess. I cry from time to time. Anyone get tears when you cut an onion? You can admit to that. Everybody can admit to that. Everybody cries a little bit when they cut an onion. Uh, what about those sick dog commercials, you know, when they're asking for money? In the arms of the angels. Away. You just get that little tear. Those puppies look so sad. 
What about at the movies when the main character gives their life, you know, at the, at the, at the crescendo of the movie? Any of you guys, you could admit to this, it's mainly to cry when Iron Man. Spoiler, sorry. I mean, it's been out, but <laughs> cried a little bit. Anybody cry when they get overwhelmed? Yep, I do. It's one of the reasons, that's one of the ways I know I'm overwhelmed is when I just go, I'm so emotional. Like I can't, I can't even, I can't even cipher out my emotions. And, and, and that's when the tears start coming a little bit sometimes for me. Tears are such an odd thing. Have you ever thought about it? It's like we just get emotional and then just like liquid comes out of our eyes. <laughs> like it's so odd. Like it's like we're leaking out of our face. But you can weep when you're happy, you can weep when you're sad, you can weep when you're sick, you can weep when you're stressed. Like it's an indication of true emotion. You can't fake a weep. To weep, you gotta get it in your heart first, right? You gotta get it deep in your heart. Anyone cry during worship? Gotta wear that waterproof mascara to worship. I don't know nothing about that, by the way. I just, I've heard ladies talk about it. I, I cry during worship. I cry almost every time I take communion. I cry when I think about the love of Jesus for me. When I think about how little I have to offer him, but how much he has to offer me and how much he's done for me and continues to do for me. Like I get emotional. Like I, I just can't help but just cry in those moments. I sense the love of God so vast and so uncorruptible and I, I, I can't turn it away. Like it's just relentless towards us. When's the last time we cried for the lost? And I don't say that with condemnation because I'm here, I'm, I'm here with you. Because there's a depth in God's heart that we reach. There's a, there's a level of maturity that we walk in when we weep for the lost. When we weep for the other reasons, it's because we are so blown away at the love of God. And then we weep like when our family, like our, our, our family in Jesus, like when they do things for us, or when we get to encourage them or when they're walking through something, like it's easy to weep and to cry here in the family, but what about outside of these walls? There's a gift of tears that can be accessed in the heart of God because listen, Although the heart of God is on this moment and the heart of God is relentlessly pursuing you and the heart of God is represented in this body, the gaze of God is also out into the world searching for those whom he is calling home. And there's a grieving in the heart of God for the lost that are far away from him. And there's a grieving at the great chasm because God in, in, in his essence is love. The word says that God is love and he's so so desperately wants to express that love out into a dying and lost world, but he can't. He can't because they won't receive of him. They don't know who's gonna bring it to him. There's a weeping that we can take on. There's a cry that we can get in our hearts. Let's continue the story of David. Verse five, David's two wives name and name, and Abigail, I got that one, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, man, there's just boom, 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 all these names, have been taken captive. 
Now David was deeply and greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all his peoples was grieved and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Underline that, highlight it, circle it, you know, do all the things so that you can't even like read the words that are underneath anymore. You got to get on your phone to figure out what that verse is because you've underlined it so many times. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. I want to encourage you with something. The victorious life of living in Christ comes with some lows. I think we think sometimes that I'm going to get saved, and if I will just follow Jesus, everything's just gonna go as I've planned it. And it's just gonna be easy, and every problem I have, God can fix, and uh, every question I have is gonna be answered in the word, and all those things are true. But in my experience, I found that it is completely normal and natural, and sometimes I might say beneficial to us, for there to not just be highs like we have at camp, but also lows. As a pastor, I'll admit this to you. There's times when I open up my Bible and the emotion of feeling close to God is absent. Sometimes I open my Bible and it's like, dude, God is right there sitting right next to me and I can just sense his love. And in my emotion, in my heart, in the seat of my heart, it's like, man, God, I feel you. But sometimes I open my Bible and it's like, is God mad at me? Like these are the questions that come into my mind. Like, is God mad at me? Like, was I nice enough to people yesterday? And I start doing this checklist thing. And it's like, it's in those moments that I gotta remind myself that what I feel in my heart isn't always true. And David recognizes this here. And in his distress and in his questioning, think about it. These men, not only has David, is David thinking about like his family that's been taken, but also his men are talking about stoning him. Like his day just continues to get worse. (laughs) It's a bad day for David. But what does he do? David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. The secret to persevering in the calling in which God has placed on your life. The secret to staying consistent when things are awesome and it's like the revelation comes easy and loving Jesus and living for him is like the path of least resistance and the times where you feel like you are cutting through the brush, but you are locked on Jesus and you're like, God, I'm trying. The secret to it is learning to strengthen yourself in the Lord. When you're discouraged, when you're beat down, when you're caught in your feelings, it's when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. This isn't like self-talk or like self-affirmations. We just need to look up. He didn't strengthen himself in himself. He didn't even remind himself like, he didn't like get in the mirror and go, hey dude, who's the anointed guy? I'm the anointed guy. Like they're not gonna stone me. I'm the guy. I've killed a lion and a bear. I killed Goliath. Like, ugh. He He didn't do that. He looked up and he strengthened himself in the Lord. Okay, let me give you a formula for this, okay? Three things, and they all start with the letter W, so you know they're from Jesus, okay? 
easy to remember. Worship, word, work. So as soon as you start to feel this, this discouragement, as soon as you start to feel it, because you will, what I wanna get deep in your heart tonight, deep in our hearts tonight, is this revelation that we are not just sitting and waiting for Jesus to come back and to die one day and to get to heaven. If that's what God's will for your life was, then when you got saved, boom, he'd beam you up to heaven right away. But he left you here. And he didn't leave you alone. He left you with his word. He left you with his spirit. He left you with his body, the church. But he left you here on purpose. There's a fight that's going on. And that's what I want us to wake up to tonight, is that there's a fight. And in a fight, there's gonna be moments where we feel discouraged. And there's gonna be moments where it's like, I don't feel like doing this stuff. Like, I know I should read my Bible, but it's just like not connecting with what I want to do, what I feel like doing. It's in those moments, you gotta arrest those things, and you gotta pause, and you gotta strengthen yourself in the Lord. You gotta worship, word, work. Okay, so here's how this works. It's really easy. Worship. Worship God. Here's what worshiping God does. Worshiping God is a moment where we take the attention off of here and now and point them up on him. I remind myself in worship that God loves me and he's bigger than I am and better than I am. So if he says he loves me, then I know he does, right? If I'm feeling like I'm overwhelmed, it's like, God, you are so far um, smarter than I am. And whatever problem I'm facing right now, I bet you look at that and go, that is nothing. Like I created the stars of the universe. Like I could, I could snap my, just cling to me, son. I'll walk you through this. When we worship, what we do is, is we just take a moment where we just take ourselves out of the here and the now and we come and we be with our father again. Worship, that puts us in the right posture, okay? Then when we're in the right posture, we open up the word. The word of God, this is not just a manuscript this is a living and breathing tool, okay? The word of God possesses in it the word of God, okay? It's the word of God. So here's what you do. You find a verse that has to do with the thing that you're walking through, and then you stand on it. I'm gonna introduce you to this really incredible tool that I found, okay? I don't know if you've heard about it before. Okay, you're gonna go to this website, www.gogle.com, okay? Google and in there, you, there's this like search bar. And you can type in there verses about and then fill in the blank with whatever it is. I know. And then there will be this whole list of verses. Now, you do want to study them. Like you, you want to like look at the context and read the passage of scripture and maybe like try to figure out if like the verse is saying what you think it's saying. But then when you're reasonably convinced and your spirit, by the way, will resonate with the word of God. It'll confirm that. Then you take that word and you memorize it, you hide it in your heart, and then you have something to stand upon. Because you cannot stand upon your feelings. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's like, I feel one way, and then like the next second I feel another way. Or like, I'll be upset, and like Kaylee, my wife, will come to me, and she's like, hey, why are you upset? And it's like, I honestly, I don't even know. I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm tired. I don't know if I'm hungry. I don't know if I'm stressed out. I don't know if I'm mad at that person or if I'm mad at myself for being mad at that person. Like, I'm not sure what I feel, but I can be sure what the word of God says, okay? So we're gonna worship, we're gonna stand upon the word, and then we're gonna get to work. And that's just where you just, you just keep going. 
Like sometimes I think the secret to, to, to persevering with God is just continuing to persevere with God. Like it's just to just get this like grit in you that's like, you know what? I'm just not going to give up. Like I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep digging. And I may have fallen over 15 times, but I'm going to just keep getting back up. Like I'm just going to keep going. And you may have to repeat this process 15 times a day. But listen, at a certain point in time, you're going to get your footing underneath you. Because it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, okay? When you go to the gym, what happens? Like, you get stronger. He got stronger in the Lord. So when he came out of whatever that moment was, I don't know if he, like, opened up his little voice memo app on his phone and all the psalms that he was, like, working on at the time. I don't know if he, like, pulled out, you know, like a a, a napkin that he had written down Psalm 23 on. I'm not sure what he did. I'm not sure how he worshiped or how he prayed, but he had a moment where in some way, shape, or form, he worshiped the Lord and reminded himself of who God is and what it was that he had promised him, that he, he rose up out of that moment stronger. Okay, so we're gonna worship, we're gonna we're go to the word, we're gonna work. This is how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Okay, you ready to keep going? Verse seven. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake him? I'm not going to get into, into all the, the Bible stuff there, but essentially this is, where, this is what, how the priests were able to figure out what the will of God was. Like it was, it, was this, it was this tool that they could use, that they could decipher through some questions what it was that God was leading them to do. So here's, we see him not just like wallowing in his situation and going, God, fix it for me. But he was going, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you've placed in front of me to take? And he answered them, which is the Lord, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besser. So they came to this like little stream. Listen to this where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men. So he went with 600 men to come to this brook. Verse 10, but David pursued he and 400 men. They lost two. For 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besser. Okay, I want you to understand something tonight. And I don't mean this in a harsh way. This is not a word for your friend. Okay, it's a word for you. Not everyone's coming with you. God's called you to walk a walk, and not everyone's gonna make it. Not because of the Lord, but just people are on a different path of the Lord. And God might be calling you into a season that your current friend group cannot come with you on. I want you to write this down. I am not their Holy Spirit. David said, you want to stay over here? That's fine. God told me to cross the brook. He didn't chastise them for them. He didn't guilt them. He said, okay, I'm going to keep going. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't stop. He just kept moving. And I think sometimes... We get like a burden in our heart, like we get lit a flame, and it's like, man, I'm going for Jesus. 
And then like when people that are walking alongside of us don't share that same conviction, sometimes what I can see happening in myself, like in my own circumstances sometimes and, and with, in my experience, is that sometimes we have the tendency, or I have the tendency at least, to go, what's wrong with you? Like, don't you see, like, we're doing this God thing. Like, we're, Maranatha, like, we're doing it. Like, what do you mean? Like, we, we don't do that stuff anymore. Like, we've got, we're, we're doing this stuff now. And when people don't want to come with me, sometimes I feel like the tendency is to start to stand in a place of, of, of superiority and a place of judgment. And what's going to happen when you do that is you're going to turn away from where God's taking you. Not only that, but you don't know. Like maybe they just were dipping their toes in the brook. They're trying to see if it was cold. Like maybe the Lord was working on them. That's why I wanted you to write down, I'm not their Holy Spirit. Just be faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. Be faithful to who God's called you to be. Figure out the definition of the standard of God on your own personal life. The only person that we can't lie to, besides God, is ourself. We can fake a facade to everyone else. We can go, I live this way, and this is what I'm gonna let people see, and all this stuff. But when you live at a standard that's just for you and God, when you live at that standard, you can't hide from it. And what that does is that builds character within you. Because what character is, is character is who you are when no one else is around. When you stand at the judgment seat when you die, the good judgment seat, there's a bad judgment seat if you don't trust in Jesus, but there's a good judgment seat where you're gonna go through your life. You're not standing there with your friends. You're not standing there with your spouse. You're not standing there with your kids. You're standing there by yourself. And what you're held accountable to is what you did with what the Lord gave you. It's one of the reasons why Jesus spent so many time talking about parables of stewardship this life that you've been given. Maybe the reason why the people don't wanna come with you is because they don't have the support system in the family dynamic at home where their parents will send them to camp, where their parents are coming to church. Some of y'all, listen, God's just proud that you're coming to students on a regular basis. Like God is proud the fact that you're coming to church by yourself. And like God sees that. That's what I'm talking about where it's like at some point you are responsible for your own life. Okay, let's keep going. I'm sorry, let's keep going. Not everyone's coming with you. Verse 11, then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they led him uh, and they let him drink water and they gave him a piece of cake of figs of fig Newton and two clusters of raisins. Anyone like fig Newtons? I love fig Newtons. Fig Newtons are good. Underrated. Underrated. And also, also. I can slam some Fig Newtons, and those are dense with calories, all right? I can slam a, a sleeve of Fig Newtons like nobody's business. So when he, the Egyptian, had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he, the Egyptian, said, I am a young man from Egypt, a servant or a slave of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. 
We made an invasion of the southern area of the name in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Plot twist. They found somebody who was a part of the group that destroyed their town and took their people. Okay? Look at what David does. And David said, can you take me down to this troop? He doesn't torture him. He doesn't, like, question him. He doesn't, like, hold him accountable. Here's what he recognizes. Although this was one that belonged to the enemy, a slave, these were not his actions because he was under the ownership of a different master. So look what he does. So cool. Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing. They find the army. David wins. They get all the people back. Here's what David identified. He figured out who his enemy was. He figured out who his enemy was. You'll never grow the kingdom of God until you recognize who your enemy is. And this is where I want to camp out here for camp. This is where I want to hang out here for the remainder of our time tonight because we're in a fight, right? But sometimes I think we lose sight of who the enemy is. Because here's the thing about camp. Camp's going to end. Sad day. I know. Tomorrow we're going to get on the buses. <laughs> Some of the leaders are like, thank the Lord. Anyone love your leader? Did you know a lot of them? Yeah. Did you know your leaders, some of them took vacation time to come and be with you? Like time they could have spent with their family, they came to invest in you. You've been nice to them, right? <laughs> Camp's going to end, right? And these tender moments that we've had with the Lord, like midday yesterday or midday today, I mean, I thought we were going to go forever. Like, I could have just stayed here forever. Don't you just wish we could just like live in an environment like this all the time, just like with people who just loved God and, 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 and just, we just got to go to worship nights every night and like hear the teaching and just be around people who share the same ideas as us. No, you don't, that's called a cult. <laughs> and it always ends up weird. <laughs> Set y'all up for that. No, write this down. It's good that I go. It's good that I go. It's good that I go. We gotta identify who our enemy is, okay? The tendency is for us to go back home and to be full of this fire and zeal for the Lord and then to get back into environments that are not, that are not as spiritually as um, conductive to, to the growth that we've been experiencing and we begin to get frustrated. And we begin to see the world as the enemy instead of the enemy as the enemy and the world as someone who's still held captive. You understand what I'm saying here? It's good that I go. Why? Because the world's good? No. No. It's why we're going. It's why we're going. 
Turn your Bibles to Mark 16. Second book in the New Testament. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go. Where? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to ascend. So Camp Jesus is about to be over. And the disciples are about to walk into a very different world without Jesus' manifest presence next to them. And what does he say to them? He says, go. Go where? Go into the world. And do what? Preach the gospel. Because here's what's going to happen if you do. Here's what's going to happen if you do. The people that receive it, they're going to be a part of the family. And there's going to be people that don't receive it. There's nothing you can do about that. But there's going to be people that do. He says, go. Go where? Where have you been sent? Write that question down. Where have I been sent? It's a question to just kind of think about. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we just kind of let life happen to us. Man, there is a fly that has been following me since Sunday. Sunday, first service, there was a fly that landed on my face, like at these, the most tender moments of worship. I'm leading worship, and it's just like this fly. And then we get here Sunday night, that fly is back. I'm telling you, it hitched a ride in Casey's Tahoe all the way up here, and now it's here to, it's the enemy right there. I told you, identify who your enemy is, this fly is it. Where have I been sent? Where have I been sent? We have this tendency, if we're not careful, to let life happen accidentally to us. Where life happens to us instead of us happening to life. There's two approaches that you can live your life at. You can go, okay, what college am I going to? All right, well, where do I have options? Where's the best fit for me? All right, I guess I'll go to that one. And then, and then where, uh, like, what career path should I take? And it's like, well, this one's going to make the most money. That seems like the smart choice. That's great. Okay, now who am I going to marry? All right, well, this guy loves God. This guy doesn't love God. I'll go with the guy who loves God. And, like, and then life just, like, happens to you. Okay? That is not how God intended you to live. The reason why I know this is because God gave you the ability to hear his voice. And God has intentionally planned out your life, the word says in Psalms, step by step. So there's God's goodness over a lot of decisions that you can make. Your life is not going to be ruined in which college you pick. Like, oh, if you go to this college, your life's going to be great. If you go here, it's going to suck. Your life's going to suck. Like, it's going to be terrible. That's not how God works, okay? But there is God's best. And when you start to filter your life through Jesus, where are you sending me? You start to identify the areas in which he's purposefully pointing your life towards and the areas in which are just kind of fluff. And the fluff's not bad. But then you can start to make decisions when the fluff starts to take away from the focus. And you know, this friend group, is great, but like this is the friend group that God's calling me to be a part of, or like this is, this is the, the group within my team that I'm trying to reach for Jesus, or like this is the call that God has to like serve in the church, and like these other extracurriculars are, are, are good, but they're taking away. You start to begin to focus in your life on the direction that God has placed on your life, 
and you start to, you start to realize this, that God's sending me somewhere. Where, where is he sent you? The team you're on. You're on a soccer team. You're not a soccer player, okay? What you are is you are a carrier of the gospel of Jesus who can play soccer. Do you understand the shift there? You're in band. I'm better than Josh last night. I was in band, all right? I know. It's called band. And there's nothing wrong with just calling it band. It's band, okay? You're in band. Okay, what you are is you're a carrier of the gospel of Jesus who happens to be gifted in ability to connect with musicians and to play music. Do you see the switch there? Okay, so now, because of that, it's not like, how do I fit this person that God is creating me to be at New Song Students and in my quiet time, how do I fit this person into the environments that are not cohesive to the, the gospel? That is a problem, because you're like, how am I this person and this person? Now, you're this person all the time, because you're being sent. You start to filter the rest of your life through, okay, if I'm being sent, then what is it that God's wanting me to accomplish there? Who is it that God's wanting me to reach? What kind of impact? What kind of example? Who is God wanting me to love on? Who is God wanting me to care for? Who is God, who, who's, who's alone and broken in this group that I find myself around? And who is needing a touch of the love of God? Do you understand? We're being sent. We are called to go. The problem is, is that we're called to go into the world. And the world's kind of messed up right? The world's messed up. And I, I've heard it a ton over the past couple of years that I've heard people say this, the world's crazy, a crazy place. It's, it's more evil than it's ever been. It's crazier than it's ever been. It's more sinful than it's ever been. What a dark and terrible world that we live in. Okay. I just want to let you know, the world is just as messed up as it's always been. Like read the Old Testament. Like Now, I, people have always been rebelling against God. Just now we can post about it. You know? Like, the world's always been wicked. Do you know what wicked means? I, I looked this up in the Old Testament. Wicked is, a, is, a, is used to describe like a branch that grows at a bunch of different angles. We see the word wicked as like evil, and there is an aspect of evil to it because wickedness comes through being planted into the, the lies of the enemy. But really all it is is it's somebody's life who is tangled up and doesn't have the priorities and the feelings and the, and, and, and the, the desires that God has originally intended for their life. When you start to see it that way, there's room for compassion. There's room for compassion. The world's messed up. The world's always been messed up. Let me show you. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. Too many verses? You guys good? Yeah. Okay, so this is Paul some 1900-something years ago. Paul's an apostle of Jesus, meaning that although he, didn't, he wasn't one of Jesus's primary disciples, um, after Jesus had descended, he, has, he uh, revealed himself to Paul. So it makes him one of the original apostles. It means that he, was, he knew Jesus. Verse 26, he's talking about the world here. Let's see if any of these things sound familiar. 
For this reason, God gave them up to their evil passions, for even their women exchanged the, natu- uh, the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their uh, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to, the, to, the, to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Listen to this list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, covetedness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, hater of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Does that sound like the world that we live in? It has not changed. It has not changed. You are not being sent into uncharted territory. You have a rich heritage of saints in Jesus that have stood in your shoes and have been sent into a world where they feel lonely, they feel marginalized in the sense of like, who do I look to and who do I lean to? where at a young age, they've had to get this in their mind that they are a leader that has to stand out um, when the rest of their friends get to do stuff, that there are things that they are called to live up to. There's been generations and generations of students that have stood right in your footsteps and walked in your shoes. And here's the problem with the world, is that the world is worldly, all right? And I believe that there is two things that the enemy would like to do, two strategies that the enemy would like to use to take you out of the fight, okay? The first is this. The first strategy the enemy has is for you to conform to it. Conform to it. Here's what that means. Okay, yes, all this stuff, it says this stuff is bad in the Bible, okay? But that was 2,000 years ago, all right? Like, we have come so far as a society now and like we've evolved and we've emerged and like, are you really gonna listen to that old dusty book? Listen, like the love stuff, God got that stuff right. He got that stuff right. And the forgiveness stuff, yes, he got that stuff right. But I don't really feel like someone 2,000 years ago could really be able to look forward into the future and to know what right and wrong was was for today, okay? That's called secularism. And what that will do is that will take you down a road where everything of substance from your faith will be stripped until all you are left with is this vapor of a God. Because here's the thing. If this isn't true, every word of it, then how do I know that Jesus is who he said he is? If this isn't true, every word of it, then how do I know that I'm truly forgiven? If this isn't true, every single sentence in it, then how can I know at all that there is a God who loves me and has provided a means for me to attain salvation through his sacrifice? It's this word being 100% true or none of it is, okay? At the very basic measure of what it means to follow Jesus is it means that 
at the end of the day, I bow to this. And I'm not going to apologize for anything in it. And I don't say that from a standpoint of like moral superiority. Because this book, what it reveals in me is a standard that I can't reach. I'm gonna fall short. You're gonna fall short. This book is like a mirror to look at and to go, Jesus, I need you to come in and to shift me. Okay, first strategy of the enemy, get you to conform to it. Okay, second strategy of the enemy, make you angry. I see angry Christians everywhere. Everywhere. It's like they are so surprised when sinners sin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mom, so mad. Anytime there's a commercial that does not follow her ideology, and she's like, I just don't understand. It's like they don't know Jesus, mom. So angry, so angry. Now, there are things that we're gonna stand for because the bride of Christ is not a pacifist. It says that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. That means that there's a fight on our hands. The call of God on your life is not to be kind. That's a part of it, and that's a color, and that's a shade. The call on your life is not just to be nice, okay, call of your life is to live at the standard of one being transformed into the image of Jesus. Okay? But we get angry. We get angry. There's things that we stand for, though. Okay? Like unborn children. Like we're going to stand for that. Like this is a life. You were knit together in your mother's womb. And it's like, I'm not going to yell at you about it. But like if I can do something about it, I'm going to. When we start like talking about like messing with like kids, like, my kids are in this world, so I'm going to take an, I have an opinion about that, all right? Okay? Now, these aren't things I'm going to be hateful about. I'm going to be angry at the fact that I live in a world that is not perfect, and, like, there's stuff and evil and, like, principalities and, like, demons and things that are behind a lot of this stuff. Like, uh, I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to protect my kids, and, like, if I can do something about it, I'm going to. But listen, listen. The two options before you, to be angry or to conform, both do the same thing. They distract and they take away from the power of the gospel. If you conform, then the gospel has no substance to it. If there's no sin in which to be saved from, then why do I need Jesus? Okay? On the other end, if I'm angry and I'm hateful, why do I want from a world's perspective, why do I want anything to do with what you have? Do you see the strategy there? Okay. But I believe what the Lord wants to do in us tonight is this. When we're tempted to get angry, when there begins to be a growl that rises up in us, I believe God wants to replace it with a groan, with a weeping. I believe God wants to turn our growl into a groan tonight. There's a third option. We're going to talk about it in just a second. But it involves this 
recognition, just like David did, that my enemy is not the people that don't agree with me. Those are those that are being held captive by the enemy. And what a groan does is it longs for Jesus to come and meet them. Every other Maranatha cry leads to this. Because if we say, come, Lord Jesus, here and change me, we do that long enough, we start to think like him. Which means we start to live in unity with people around us. We start to build each other up and encourage each other and disciple each other. And then as we grow, what we begin to do is we begin to act like Jesus, which is to go out and to not just hang out with the Christian clique that we have, but to go out and to go into the world to meet with the marginalized and beat with the hurting and beat with the, meet with the broken. We can't do that if we're angry. So my challenge to you is this. When you're tempted to be angry, either someone does something mean to you or, you know, there's an ideology that you don't like or, or there's something that, like, just gets you heated when you see it in the world or, or you see someone post about something and, and it just makes you mad, makes your blood boil, and you start to get angry, start tempted, become tempted to get angry. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pause. I want you to see that as an invitation to begin to look past the offense itself and recognize that there's a brokenness that led to it. There's a brokenness that led to the behavior. When we see that, when we see that, what begins to happen is our hearts begin to be softened. Our hearts begin to be softened and the love of God begins to become manifest. And when the love of God begins to become manifest, there's a tenderness that comes over our hearts. As we look at those around us, not as people that are just messed up, but people that are broken and captive. Turn to me in your Bibles to one more passage, no, two more passages, Romans 8, 22. Now go ahead and skip to Romans 12. God gives us a third option. Here's what it is. It's to love well. To love well. Do you believe that you've been sent? Do you believe that God's placed you on purpose where he's placed you? Do you believe he's called you to go? Okay, so how do we do it then? So we gotta do it in this world. How do we do it? We love well. Love well. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what, it is, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Okay, that's Maranatha. What are we clinging to? God, come Lord Jesus. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. What is that? Come Lord Jesus, the body. Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
If it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. What's this talking about? This is talking about being sent into the world, being persecuted, being, you can't be persecuted like if you're not like doing things to ruffle some feathers. I don't mean like doing annoying stuff, you know, and like, you know, shouting at people and they need to like turn or burn. Like I'm talking about like at a certain point, if you're following Jesus, there's gonna be things you can't say yes to. And people want you to say yes to them because they want it to affirm their own doubt in their own heart. But like there's a standard that God's called you to. And like there's a persecution that's gonna come with that because it's like, I gotta follow Jesus. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, there's a, there, there, there is a God that I love. And, and, and the, it's not out of this place of like being afraid to offend God. It's out of this place of like, Jesus has done so much for me. You know, like, how could, I, how could I forsake him? How could I turn against him? As far as it depends upon me, live at peace, please. Live peace, please, with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Check this out. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. What is this? Is it food and water? No, it's Jesus. What's the world hungry for? The bread of life. What's the world thirsty for? Think about everything that we see our culture doing. It's to satisfy this need. I think Josh talked about it last night. Pastor Josh talked about it last night. Everything, every sin is a desire to satisfy a God need. Every single one. If your enemy's hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's not like, like a, like, oh, that'll get him, you know, like kill him with kindness. It's talking about conviction. Because evangelism's a funny thing. I haven't quite figured it out other than just to do it. But like, bringing the gospel to someone like can be a really offensive thing because it's like, hey, have you ever heard about Jesus before? And it's like, if you live in Oklahoma, like you've probably heard about Jesus. Like, how do you start the conversation sometimes, you know? You know, like, is it like, oh, do you go to church? Yeah, I go to so-and-so church on the, like, how often do you go to church? Like, you're trying to figure out like, you know, like, are you a real Christian? Like, I don't mean that judgmentally. But like, are you, like, I'm trying to figure out, are you following, like, do you know the Jesus, do you know Jesus like I do? So I'm trying to figure out, like, it's, it's a weird thing sometimes. But if you come at it from the approach of like, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on your head. When we live this way, what begins to happen is that there becomes an incessant, like you expose them to the presence of God and there becomes a conviction that sits on their mind. And when they go to sleep at night, they're gonna be going, I think there's something more to God. I think maybe there's truth to this. I think maybe this judgmental and like, you know, whatever, like this, this Jesus that I've seen mocked on TV, I don't think that's him. There'll be these questions that come up in their mind. And then it, he, he leaves us with this encouragement to finish the chapter. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Maranatha cry is not just a desperate cry to say, Jesus, come. It's saying, Jesus, I will take you with me. Maranatha isn't just a cry of come Lord Jesus. It's a battle cry. It's something that we look over to our neighbor and we go, Maranatha. Maranatha. Like, we're going to school. 
I know we're just juniors at Edmund North, but Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, like come Lord Jesus with me as I go into this world. Maranatha isn't just a plea for God's intervention. It's a battle cry and a standard and a flag that we raise and we carry into battle. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. How do we do this? I wanna leave you with three things. Three things that we just saw listed in that. Did you see that, all three Maranathas in that verse? And God, cool. We didn't talk about our message or anything. The Holy Spirit is just, he wants to get this into your hearts. Three things that we can do to live with a Maranatha cry, okay? First one is this, love God. That's it, love God. Step one, love God. At the end of the day, love God. Try your best to love God. Show up, read your Being Transformed journals, come to New Song students, love God. Two, love each other. Three, love the world. Here's where we get lost. We don't know how to do this right. Okay, so I wanna give you two things that you can do to love the world. The first one is this, pray. I have found that there are people that God will place on my heart that I'm like, I know God's trying to get them. Like they just highlighted to me, like I'll be in the gym. The gym is like the place where I am, I work at a church, so it's like most of the people that I come in contact with on a regular basis, like they know Jesus, they're you guys, you know? So it's like, who do I come in contact with? Like, because I believe the gospel is best given through relationship. It's like, who do I come in contact with on a regular basis? Uh, people at the gym. And so there'll be people that like, they'll just put them on heart, okay? But I don't know how to talk to, like, how do you bring it up? Like, hey, do you need a spot? Also, do you need a spot with your sin? You know, like, how do you work this into a conversation? I'm not sure. But if I will pray for them, prayer is not just hoping God will do something. Prayer is a tuning in with what God wants to already do, okay? And so by praying with them, now I'm praying for them, now I'm on the lookout. And there'll be things that God will share with me about them or things that God will show me about them or ideas or whatever. So the first step is just this, like you should have a list of people that are lost in your world that you should just be praying for. You don't have to pray for them for a long time, but it's just like, God, if there's, an, if there's a way, I know this person needs an encounter with you. So if there's any way that I can be that vessel today, would you help me not to miss it? That's it. Pressure's on God at that point because you've already given him your yes, okay? Pray. Here's the second one, and this one's hard. Do the right thing all the time. Do the right thing all the time. I told you earlier that character is who you are when no one's looking. Someone's always looking. And specifically those that are questioning and they're curious about Jesus. They're going to be watching how you handle when someone backstabs you. They're gonna be watching how you complain about your teacher. They're gonna be watching how you talk about your coach. They're gonna be watching, they're gonna be watching because they wanna know, not are you the real deal, but is Jesus the real deal? And when I say do the right thing all the time, I don't mean you have to be perfect, but I do mean you have to be repentive. So when you mess up, if you don't say anything about it, then the enemy goes, gotcha. See, Christians are a hypocrite. But if you're repentive, sometimes that's even better because you know how hard it is to apologize how rare that is so when you wrong a friend or maybe you get angry 
get frustrated, get snippy with somebody. I get snippy, ask my, ask my team. Sometimes I snap at people. I get angry, get my flesh. But then I gotta go, hey, I'm really sorry I said that that way. And what that does is it goes, hey, I'm not perfect all the time and following Jesus isn't about being perfect all the time. Following Jesus is about just following Jesus because I'm trying to live better. I'm trying to live in his glory and grace. Do you have this Maranatha cry in your heart yet? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? There's a couple points of response that I wanna present to you today. And we're gonna break into some prayer, but I wanna encourage you with this. Like, don't, I love that you guys wanna pray for each other and that's awesome. And we're gonna give time for that in a little bit. But this is a moment, I feel like sometimes what we can do is when we're sitting under some conviction, instead of like untangling that moment with the Lord, we can kind of mask it with like ministering to each other sometimes. So like, let's just, this moment right now, you and Jesus, cool? You and Jesus, I wanna remind you of something. Jesus loves you. He chose to love you when he knew every good thing you were ever gonna do and every good thing you've ever done. He chose you when he knew every bad thing you've ever done and every bad thing you'll ever do, okay? He loves you perfectly right now, okay? This is coming from a posture of love tonight and a posture of calling you to rise because he is sending you out can I just speak this word over you tonight? There is a generation of leaders right here in this room. Can I speak this over you tonight? There is a standard being lifted across Edmond and Deer Creek and Oklahoma City. There is, I see this picture of just holes through a canvas with a bright light shining through it. And you are those holes into a dark world. So the first response to this message is this, it's repentance. So two areas that I felt like the Lord might lead you to. One is maybe living a double life. Like you're a Christian, yes, but you're different on Wednesday than you are on Monday and on Thursday and on Tuesday and on Friday or with that group of friends or in that class or with that relationship. It's a double life. And you know, like you know, because you feel bad about it. And the opportunity before you tonight is just go, God, I, I know, and I know that you know. And would you just tell me to just be like you all the time? just ask him if there's anything that he wants you to do about that. Maybe it's cutting out some relationships. Maybe it's stepping down from a team. I don't know. Might be, might be a big thing. Don't brush it off though, because the Lord is giving you an opportunity tonight to walk in his easy yoke. The second area of repentance is this though. I think this is probably most of us. I know it is me for being calloused towards the lost, for just being so hyper fixated on just enjoying Jesus. And we've kind of just like kept him as this like best kept secret in Edmund that we just get to go meet with him on Wednesday nights. And it's like the presence of God is so thick. And it's like, I wasn't really actually even thinking about bringing anyone else to that encounter. Just, it's just a callousness. 
We all walk through that. So that's you, just go, Holy Spirit, would you soften my heart? Would you make it like clay before you? Would, would you help me to be bothered by the lost around me? Would you help me to tear up when I think about my friends that are far from you? Every moment when I taste your goodness, would you remind me that there are those that are tasting ash in the world? Every moment when I get to just sit in your presence and experience your love, would you remind me that there are those that, are feel, so, that feel so disconnected and broken? Would you remind me, Lord? Oftentimes, we want God to be upset about the things that we're upset about. It's another level of maturity to go, God, I want to be upset about what you're upset about. Break, break my heart for what breaks yours, Lord. same school as you or are like on the same team as you or if that doesn't check any of your boxes know the same people as you okay and um, if not like if that doesn't fit in your boxes find a leader and and leaders you just do your best to kind of help what, what we're trying to cultivate here is little pockets of unity okay and we're gonna pray some things sound good all right you guys can go ahead and start doing that people in the same school as you Try to stay quiet just a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna release you to pray in just a little bit. be on the lookout please for people that are, are standing alone or are not not everybody's got to be in a group but we kind of want to be able to pray together we're not going to force anybody in anything though okay all right i got your attention still you guys are doing great i know it's late all right here's the first thing we're going to ask for and I, I, i'm not really i'm not trying to force like emotionalism or anything that is not what i'm trying to do um, but I want us to pray just inwardly pray for God to give us a grieving for the lost in our community and when I say the community I mean like the representation of where you are right now like the group that you're with 
just inwardly just pray, God, would you just give me a grieving for the lost? A grieving that for those that are not here in the family of God. And that might make you sad. There might be some tears. That's great. There might not be tears. Maybe not a cry. It's fine. But we just want to ask God for a softening in our hearts. Okay, go ahead and do that. God might bring some faces to your mind. Ask him to give you tears for your generation. The psalmist says, I won't let sleep come to my eyes till I find a resting place for the Lord. to the Lord. Commit yourself to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your community. Say, Lord, I'm being sent. I recognize this and I will answer the call. It's me. settle for a second you find a good natural place you guys are doing great okay now I want you each to think I want you to think and bring to your mind um, one lost person that you know and, and don't just rush to it. Let the Holy Spirit put someone on your mind. And I want you to think of them as your assignment. Think on it for a second and then go around the circle. And you don't have to like, not everybody's got to share. But I think there's something too, like you guys know these people. So like being able to say like, hey, this is who I feel like God's coming after this year. And I want you to name them. If you feel comfortable, if you don't feel like you heard anything, that's fine. Um, but, but let, let's try to think of the, who those people are. And I want you to go around the circle, just name those people. And then when you've named them, um, I want you guys to, to pray and go, Jesus, Jesus, send us to those people. Give us the words to say, give us the, the courage, give us the strength, give us the compassion. Don't let us fall into apathy. Don't let us get lost in the distraction of assignments due and tests to be studied for and games to be played. 